Hello and welcome to Interactive's Yellow Room. I am Eve Chiori and this week we are bringing our international network to Brussels and we are focusing on Slovakia's current political situation and how it is affected by the purchase of the Russian Sputnik vaccine. And from Slovakia we are traveling to France and we are talking about how football teams are trying to become sustainable. To gain a better understanding on what is happening in Bratislava, I am joined today by Lucia Jar, the editor-in-chief of Euraktiv Slovakia. So it looks like things are getting really intense in Slovakia regarding the vaccine. Could you give us some insights into the situation and what is actually happening there? Slovakia currently tops the number of coronaviruses infections and COVID-related deaths per capita, not only in Europe, but also worldwide. And uh, a year ago, um, Slovakia was almost a champion with several dozens of infected. However, uh, the whole course uh, shortly uh, turned upside down in the fall last year, as the country was actually slow to react to the second uh, pandemic wave. Uh, Slovakia was one of the countries that carried out mass rapid antigen testing, with millions of Slovaks being tested every week. However, rapid tests are less reliable than the PCR tests, and their results are valid up to two weeks. The government picked up this idea that if we want to pass this whole crisis, we need to test, test and test. Many Slovaks took their negative tests as some kind of a ticket to their freedom and were walking freely for two weeks, even though might be infected. And as the situation worsened, the government was again looking for some big, big solution. And it seemed to be the vaccination. But as we know, the general uh, slower rollout of, of vaccines that was led by the European Commission uh, somehow prevented the Slovak government to act both fast and both at large. And this is where we are today. Mm -hmm. And why did the government decide to turn to Russia and in the end purchase two million doses of the Sputnik vaccine? According to uh, the Prime Minister Igor Matovich, in the crisis as this, when hospitals really are exceeding their uh, capacities and um, for weeks uh, this 5 million country actually sees deaths of almost 100 people every day, uh, Slovakia basically cannot be constrained by geopolitics, he says. Um, he also believes that faster the vaccination, faster we can all turn back to our normal lives. That's why he decided to go against even his own governmental partners. Mm -hmm. So what was the aftermath of that decision politically? And what were the reactions within the political stage of the country? Two junior partners in his coalition, Freedom and Solidarity Party and the Party for the People, opposed the idea of purchasing this um, EMA unapproved jabs. So Matovich decides to welcome the Russian vaccine at the airport himself, something that was heavily criticized by his partners in his coalition, because for them, for his partners, the Sputnik vaccine is a tool in a Russian hybrid warfare. 
it really triggered uh, the largest uh, crisis of this government. Um, and these two parties are currently uh, discussing with another two parties in the coalition uh, how to reconstruct uh, the, the whole government. So really the reactions within uh, the government itself uh, were really big. However, of course, vaccine uh, or Russian vaccines uh, were not the only thing that this government has, has problems with. And what about the relations with the EU? Was there a reaction or a comment from the Commission to this purchase? So far, not uh, much damage has been done, as it seems. Uh, shortly after receiving vaccines from Russia, uh, Prime Minister also welcomed support uh, of the European Union countries. Extra doses uh, arrived to Slovakia, 100,000 uh, extra doses uh, of Pfizer vaccines from the Commission, 15,000 extra doses from, uh, from France uh, of AstraZeneca. And also, again, Prime Minister welcomed it uh, personally uh, himself so, so to some, somewhat balance this image. So the Slovak Prime Minister is trying to defuse the situation by welcoming all the vaccines that arrive in the country individually, <laughs> showing up at the airport, for example. Seems like, yes, he, did, he didn't want to make, a, make an image of someone to be pro-Russian. In a recent post on his social media, Matovic is asking the authorities to urgently approve the Sputnik vaccine, mentioning that the agency should be working on it 24-7, something that of course caused a number of reactions within the country. This is not how the whole process is working. If Prime Minister urges, uh, urges EMA on Facebook, uh, nothing will really speed it up. So overall, it seems that Brussels, as well as uh, its agencies or, or member states, are uh, somehow avoiding any harsh critique of Slovakia, because probably they are aware of quite a complicated situation that the country is in. And how did Slovaks perceive the news of this purchase? Is the fact that the vaccine hasn't been registered yet by the European Medicines Agency something that worries them or something that they consider during the vaccination decision? According to a recent survey, uh, being vaccinated with Sputnik V is acceptable to approximately the same number of Slovaks as uh, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So Russian vaccine is uh, even more acceptable for Slovaks than Moderna or AstraZeneca jabs, that's, that's quite interesting. And the Prime Minister therefore believes that, uh, that really many of those who did not trust American or European companies or Western companies, let's say, uh, they will be uh, more willing to, uh, to get a Russian vaccine. And that's why the collective immunity uh, in the country will, will raise up. This is his uh, bottom line. Uh, so far, a local evaluation in Slovakia of this vaccine is taking place. Um, therefore, we can only anticipate uh, how interesting it will actually uh, become for, uh, for people. Um, um, the thing is that uh, as the, the vaccine was not approved yet, neither by uh, EMA, neither by Slovak agency, um, doctors will be the one to take the responsibility for it. And it is, again, questionable how many doctors will actually be willing to take uh, upon such responsibility. Indeed, that is a big responsibility to take. So it is very interesting to see how the situation will evolve. Absolutely. And uh, currently the vaccination strategy uh, is changing uh, almost every week. This is also uh, quite frustrating. 
you're listening to Euractiv's Yellow Room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them every week on your favorite podcast app. And moving on other news, this week I read this really eye-catching article on Euractiv.com. Uh, actually, it was republished by Euractiv France, and it was all about football and sustainability. So to break down the components of this very interesting story, I am joined today by Magdalena Pistorius from Euractiv France. So the main question here is how football can contribute to the upcoming green transition, especially because the sport itself isn't really considered as one of the eco-friendliest uh, sports. Football is not really considered an eco-friendly sport, which is partly due to the fact that it's the biggest sport practiced in the world. So we have millions of people practicing football, hundreds of millions watching football, and obviously that creates some huge impacts so there is first the impact of the sport itself when it comes to watering the grass in the stadiums, having energy during the matches, etc. Then there is obviously the waste that is being created during these uh, matches. So for, for huge um, matches with thousands of spectators, we're talking tons of waste of food and plastic being generated. And then there is third of all the impact um, that fans of football have themselves um, when it comes to mobility, so um, just imagine thousands of people taking the plane to move across Europe to watch a game that obviously creates hundreds of thousands of tons of CO2 each year. Football obviously can also contribute to minimize the effects that it is having. And actors in the football sector are becoming more and more aware of that over the last months and years. I mean, the sport itself and the French teams have a million and million of fans around the globe. So what are the aspirations behind this initiative? An initiative from a French association called Football Ecologie France, an association that is um, trying to raise awareness of um, the impact football has on the environment, but that also tries to tackle that issue. So the aspiration here is to first, um, well, um, sensibilize the public about everything that's at stake and sensibilize actors in the football sector itself, but also just fans, supporters, everyone, in fact, to how they can make a change, how they can contribute to tackling um, this issue. For a specific case, the association actually um, offers help to professional clubs, amateur clubs, communities to improve their politics when it comes to the impact on the environment. It helps them um, discover and develop schemes to reduce their impact when it comes to water consumption, energy consumption, waste production, etc. And of course, this is not the first uh, initiative the French clubs are taking. If I'm not mistaken, they collaborate with food banks to minimize food waste. Could you tell us a bit more on that, Magdalena? There are several clubs all over France who are developing um, associations with food banks. So meaning that the the food waste that is being produced during big matches with thousands of spectators, um, they are, instead of throwing it away, they give it to these food banks who then redistribute the food um, to people in need. And so this is obviously a very eco-friendly initiative as it allows to reduce um, waste. Mostly when we talk like burgers, it's about uh, reducing the waste that is linked to meat consumption and production and while it's also an action of solidarity, obviously, so there is a social and environmental issue being tackled there. 
And finally, are these eco-friendly initiatives an attempt to change the image of the sport and the image of the clubs as well? Well, I think it's a bit of both. So image obviously is a huge factor. So as public demand for climate uh, issues, I mean, uh, actions to tackle climate change actually is rising and as more and more people are asking for green initiatives in, in all kinds of sectors, including sport, there is obviously the question of image and not being seen as the bad guys. But um, there is also a rising awareness among players, including football players, that with climate change, it's going to become more and more hard to actually do sports. So if you have rising temperatures in the summer, less and less water to um, water your grass, etc., it's going to be more and more hard in the future to play football. And so this is also, these initiatives are also um, taken to try to preserve the sport as it is. And then obviously you just have more and more people who just care about the environment and want to tackle these issues because they care. And our time is up for this week. I am Evi Chiori, and this was Euractiv's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit Euractiv.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon. Music